Well, but first, we want to head to the North Shore, and a search is continuing on the North Shore for somebody who has been deemed overdue. That's after the release of water yesterday at the Cleveland Dam. And Global News reporter Jen Palma has been there all morning covering this and joins us on the line now. Jen, thanks so much for being with us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, You've been up there this morning, I know, talking with search and rescue and covering. So what's the latest in this ongoing search? Well, unfortunately, they had to go out again and look for someone who might be potentially missing. Last night, RCMP got in touch with North Shore Rescue and asked them if they could uh, head out this morning. And while I was out reporting uh, close to Burrard Inlet this morning, we actually did see uh, one of the choppers go up. So they tell us that they were looking for someone after their family called RCMP yesterday and said that their loved one had not come home, was missing. Uh, potentially someone who is fishing. And we do have sources that have told Global News that this person that is missing could be the son of the person that was the man that unfortunately died in yesterday's uh, water event from the Cleveland Dam. Now, RCMP is not confirming the, the, the connection there with family, but they do say that they were looking for someone. So NSR headed out uh, in their chopper as well as their kayaks, and they did not find anyone. They're on standby, they say, at this point, but just in case something changes, or if anyone out there has any information, they can call RCMP with it. Uh, Yeah, my guess is uh, as people are going to be out uh, in that area today, uh, even for recreational purposes, they're probably asking people to to keep an eye out or if they see anything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They said they did try and do as good a job as they could. Obviously, um, they looked on an island that sort of hangs out in the middle of the river there towards the inlet. Uh, Fortunately, people have gotten stranded there before, so they went to see if anyone was there. They also said that they searched through all the little nooks and crannies that they know as people come down through the rocks, etc., and came up empty in this search. We are expecting more information from RCMP at some point this afternoon, as well as Metro Vancouver. They are holding an availability uh, this afternoon as well to update us on exactly what happened here yesterday, just before 2 o'clock. Quite a few people were down there enjoying the beautiful afternoon, fishing on the river. And uh, all of a sudden, there was a big, what they said sounded like a freight train coming through, a rush of wind, and then there was water. Within two minutes, uh, we're told, it went from a normal level and rose four meters, this huge spike of water coming through. The dam was undergoing scheduled maintenance. However, the water wasn't supposed to be coming out like that. So they are going over their records, no doubt, and trying to figure out exactly what took place here. And as far as uh, the people, as you mentioned, uh, tragically, there is one fatality confirmed at this point from yesterday. Did you find out anything or do we know for sure uh, the extent of the injuries or any of the others that were swept up and caught up in this uh, dam release? Yes, absolutely. There were four people. And all there were five people. Unfortunately, one of them did die. Uh, The other four, though, two were able to self-rescue, and then there were two that actually needed more help from the uh, from one of the teams that got into the water and helped them out. Uh, From what I understand, everyone received minor injuries. Two people did receive sort of more, I guess, major, if you want to say, scrapes. 
However, nobody had to be transported to hospital. So that is definitely good news that those four people were, uh, came out unscathed as much as possible. But no doubt, uh, reliving what happened, I uh, can't imagine how terrifying that would be as some of them were trying to scale the rock and make their way out to safety. Terrifying uh, indeed. At this point, is the search continuing or did you hear from Search and Rescue that they've searched the area and now it's a matter of waiting uh, to see if anything else uh, can be done? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, They're just kind of waiting, standing. They're on standby, they say, at this point. If anyone does see anything or hear anything or have any information, they're asking that the public actually contact RCMP, whether that be uh, RCMP for North Vancouver or even in West Van, call the police department there and let them know what you've seen. They are saying for people to stay away from the water and to not go up to uh, what might be something of interest uh, along the way to just call the officials first. All right, Jen, thank you so much for this. Appreciate it. No problem. Have a good day. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Well, we have talked about housing sales, listings and home prices in the greater Vancouver region, and we've seen another increase in the September numbers. And joining me to talk more about this is Colette Gerber, the chair of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Thanks so much for being back with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, How would you summarize what we saw in September? September followed the trend of the previous three months, showing continued uh, growth in sales month over month. This is the highest September number of sales we've had in our history. And it's uh, because there's a need out there. Is it surprising that we're still in a pandemic and we're still seeing people that have had their hours reduced or have job uncertainty that we're now looking at the highest number of sales in the history? The spring market, so from March to June, is usually the most active time of year. That didn't start until June. And as time has gone on, we're still playing a little bit of catch-up Um, More people are returning to work. The high-wage sector um, is a big part of the buyers we're seeing out there, and they've managed to remain employed. And also, realtors have become very comfortable in um, ensuring that their clients, both buyers and sellers, Uh, operate in a very safe manner and knowing that I think that has helped buyers especially feel more comfortable going out and following through on their housing needs. Uh, we we've talked about the low interest rates in the past and how that is is increasing buying power for some and, and making it attractive for some people. Uh, but in the news release that was sent out, um, one of the quotes says that it's in part to lower interest rates, but also the changing housing needs during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Can you explain that a bit more? What are the changing housing needs? People are uh, t- reassessing their housing needs right now getting some certainty around whether it's going to be working from home full-time or part-time, how they are going to operate socially, are they going to continue with house parties, that sort of thing. So I think this has given people an opportunity to take a look at their lifestyle, and that is what seems to be driving the move from one property type to another.
And what types of properties? I know that uh, the the list goes down as far as uh, the listings for attached homes, for apartment properties. Uh, is any one particular area seeing a bigger increase compared to others? Absolutely. The single-family housing market is, is extremely robust right now. It had uh, several years of a downward trend on pricing. And when that stabilized last summer, it gave people the opportunity to uh, take a look at whether they could afford getting into the single-family housing market. And now if they feel they want more outdoor space, more indoor space, perfect time. Prices are certainly more reasonable than they've been in the past. And when you say more reasonable, what kind of change have we seen in those prices? There are years where price increases have been extremely high. But for instance, on the single family housing over last month, the increase was about 0.6%. So not very market. And um, over the last year, slightly under 6% overall. So prices aren't skyrocketing like they have occasionally in the past. And do you think that people have, if there was maybe some reluctancy to get into the market or to list if you were a homeowner uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of waiting through the summer, is this, uh, this, the, this surge in numbers and the increase, do you think it's also with people that have come to realize that you can do things by appointment and there are ways to work around the, the industry to stay safe during the pandemic? Absolutely. And as more certainty in one's work environment has rolled out over the summer and then realtors becoming very uh, careful with how they conduct business with their clients, it certainly appears to have given both buyers and sellers a level of comfort that they're able to go out and uh, do what they need to do, buy a property, sell a property. So are you able to classify it right now as far as uh, whether we would call it a buyer's market or a seller's market? Yes. So typically um, when the sales to active listings ratio dips below 12% for a sustained period, um, that's when you enter into buyer's market territory. Conversely, when sales to active listings is above 20% for a sustained period. That's when it becomes what we call a seller's market. And we are in the beginnings, in the early stages of a seller's market. Just uh, overall, our sales to active listings ratio right now is about 27% for all property types. Hmm. And are there specific areas of Metro Vancouver or Greater Vancouver where you're seeing more activity? We're um, not a specific area. Certainly, the further away you get from the uh, city of Vancouver, houses typically have, and, and other properties typically are a little bit less expensive. But um, so overall, all markets appear to be really active right now. All right, uh, Colette, thanks so much, as uh, for as always, for coming on and work, walking through the numbers with us. Uh, appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks for doing this, and we'll talk to you again soon.
you. It is time for us to check in with Matthew Fisher. He is an international affairs columnist, also a foreign correspondent, has been working abroad for 35 years and joins us to talk about a couple of different subjects today. Matthew, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I want to start with what I think is probably what many, many people are talking about today, and that is the COVID-19 positive test for Donald Trump. The tweet came out late last night here. What is your sense on, on the feedback and how this is going to be received around the world? I think it will be a bit like the football equivalent of piling on Uh, There are a number of polls going back several years, one just taken a few weeks ago in 13 Western nations. Uh, They all show that opinions about Donald Trump uh, are terrible, and this will only confirm them. One of the reasons his already low ratings have gone worse this year is because of the coronavirus and such idiotic things as let's put Clorox in our veins, disinfect and whatnot. Uh, And so there will be very little sympathy for him internationally. He's not liked in many places overseas, uh, much, much more unpopular there than in the United States. And there certainly has been the the pouring out of well-wishers, people saying we hope for for a speedy recovery, which you can, uh, which is to be expected. Uh, People, uh, whether you agree with the man, disagree with the man, I would like to think that uh, nobody would want to wish more harm on somebody that has tested positive. But like you said, when we've been seeing the rallies and we've been seeing the way that he and his people, his entourage are traveling, uh, nobody, I I would think, would be surprised that this has happened? Well, you see these horrific numbers out of the United States now in their defense, but it's not much of a defense. They have a very large population. They're about 300 and what, uh, 10 million Americans, 320 million Americans, but rates are terrible. And then you, you know, I know, we know that one of the best ways uh, to avoid getting this virus is to wear a mask and not to gather in groups of thousands of people. And uh, Trump is energized by those crowds, and he has been wading into them without a mask and shaking hands and everything else for weeks. It appears, though, he didn't get it from meeting all of those people. He may have given it to some of those people, but he got it from somebody on his own staff, a young woman who also most of the time does not wear masks. And even Trump himself described her as a, as a great hugger of people when she meets them. So all these things sort of indicate what you just said. Nobody could be surprised uh, given the way he ignores all these rules. And, of course, we all remember that at the outset, He scoffed at all the rules. Uh, We should also remember that in Canada, it was a few months before we got into using masks because the federal government's original advice to Canadians was that masks meant nothing. Uh, The government gets a lot of credit for all the wonderful things it has done on this. Well, they absolutely got that wrong. And now the number one thing the federal government says we should do is wear masks. So we are not perfect in this regard. But Donald uh, Trump is an exceptionally bad example to Americans in the world.
Uh, do you think this will do anything as far as so the campaign events have now been postponed or they are going virtual? We're told that Donald Trump uh, is in the White House with mild symptoms of this virus. Uh, Joe Biden is continuing. He and his wife both tested. They tested negative for this virus. Uh, he is continuing with his campaign events. Uh, how do you think this changes the election campaign? I think it harms Trump a little bit. Uh, I am not an uh, an expert on American politics, but I have traveled a lot in the United States and have, particularly through my military associations, many American friends, and they tend to be people who support Donald Trump. And uh, uh, this will come as a wake-up call to them, uh, a shock uh, to them. But uh, for the actual race itself... America is so divided today that I don't think many of those people will move. But, Joe, the interesting thing is still between, depending on the poll, 3 and 11 percent of the American electorate have not decided how they wish to vote. They've been sitting on the fence. They really don't like either candidate, I guess. And I, I'm thinking some of those people now will not vote for Trump because uh, he's he's been uh, hoisted on his own petard, if you like. It's it's divine retribution of a sort. And uh, Matthew, before uh, I let you go, I wanted to ask you as well, we had originally planned to talk to you about uh, the actions of China, what uh, the uh, hearing this week of Meng Wanzhou, what impact that might have. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the piece that you also wrote about that. Well, uh, it is my opinion that there is now an inevitable trend taking place of Western nations moving towards supporting Taiwan. The Japanese, South Koreans want it because the Strait of Taiwan and that whole region is how they move all their trade through to much of the world. Uh, The United States wants it just in terms of a superpower rivalry. India and Australia have major concerns. Uh, And as always on the China file, Uh, Canada is the outlier. Canada remains China's best friend practically in the world, despite the fact that there are huge issues between China and Canada. Canada has not changed its policy yet. But what we're seeing now is in the last few weeks, the Liberals floating the idea that they're going to come up with a new tough policy. Well, Australia came up with a new tough policy overnight. Uh, Several countries did that. And it's very different for Canada. Uh, which is a bit of a head-scratcher for a lot of people because they continue to hold two of our citizens uh, and for, what, more than 600 days now? 660-plus, I believe it is, Jill. And uh, they uh, have uh, mucked us around on, on serious trade issues, things that matter uh, to us, and they've insulted us. They've called us a nation of racists, and worse than that senior Chinese officials have done that. Uh, So uh, the rest of the world is moving quickly against China in terms of forming new partnerships, intelligence and security arrangements and new trade arrangements. And even now, Canada is spending months to formulate the policy. And I just don't get it. I don't understand why our government does not show more spine. It's really unfortunate about the two Michaels. I get that. But You know, in the Philippines, hostages were held there, Canadians. Uh, Two of them were beheaded. One of them was a good friend of mine. And uh, this isn't right, but our government uh, 
did not assist them because we have a policy of not negotiating with such people. Unfortunately for me, because I love the guy who died, uh, I agree with the government's policy. Why are we not the same on China? Why are we not so tough? We still dream of the billions of dollars of trade, Jill. And the trade is up a bit between Canada and and China this year. But uh, still, I do not get our policy. The Canadian public now, over 80% of them, are against having uh, uh, the ties that we have with China. And that's why the Liberals are reacting. Aaron O'Toole's come out with a policy to be tough on China, and that has awakened the Liberals, not the problems with uh, the Mengs or kidnapping Canadians or the treatment of Uyghur Muslims or the Hong Kong, uh, the, the terrible draconian laws they've introduced. It's a very interesting situation. When will Canada finally move. Uh, It seems to be coming in a few months. We'll see. All right, Matthew, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much again, Jill. Well, we are going to take a little break from all the breaking news of the day. We will keep you updated on the various stories. Uh, President Trump being taken to the Walter Reed Military Medical Clinic as well. We are now expecting to get updates on what happened at the Cleveland Dam yesterday. At least some new information around 4 p.m. from RCMP. But right now, we are going to take a look at the Great Canadian Hike because it is getting underway right across the country. But as most things... Because of COVID, it looks a little bit different this year. And joining me on the line to explain that is Jane O'Faherty, Communications Advisor with the Trans-Canada Trail. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jill. And thank you so much for having us on such a very busy day for a journalist, I'd imagine. (laughs) It is a busy day, but you know what? It's Friday and we also need Mm -hmm. a little bit of an escape from that as well. And uh, so tell us a little bit uh, about the fact that we are in a pandemic and how does that make things different when it comes to encouraging people to get out and to experience the trail? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is the first um, time we've hosted something like the Great Canadian Hike. It's a national chance to embrace trails, but it's specifically designed around a physically distant world. So um, there's a registration system in place which allows people to pick a hike near them, choose in date and time that they want to explore that trail. And spaces are limited so that we can help manage the numbers of people jo- joining as part of the hike. So it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's one that's, it's a challenge that's very aware of the time that we're living in. We know that Canada is really at a crossroads in the fight against COVID and the past six months have been some of the most difficult moments in our lifetimes. Um, but that said, um, we know um, from public health experts and from, you know, scientific evidence that getting outdoors with your household or even by yourself is an important part of keeping he- physically and mentally healthy at this time. So for everyone who's registering for the Great Canadian Hike, for anyone who's interested, we are saying, you know, um, only register with uh, members of your household. Um, only, you know, and if you if you encounter people across on the trail while you're there, you know, keep the distance of two meters as per the public health guidance. And if it's you're finding it difficult to keep that distance, um, make sure you have a mask with you and, and put it on if you're finding it hard to maintain that distance. So um, it's something I think um, trails are actually kind of... Um, ideal for for managing a certain level of physical distance and you know keeping that two meters between people who aren't in your household and they also you know in nature we can seek refuge we can stay physically fit so um we are very cognizant of the situation but we're doing all we can to provide people with the information they need to keep themselves safe and others safe. And so this started yesterday, goes to to the Mm -hmm. end of the month, and the trail itself is, what is it, 27,000 kilometres? So not expecting people to do the whole thing. 
No, not at all. And even in BC itself, the the trail is three thousand seven hundred kilometers alone. So, no, that's a, that's a big chunk of trail to cover, especially right now. So, and um, what we're saying really is, um, you know, um, when you register for a hike near you, pick a hike near you because uh, that will be the safest thing to do. And um, you know, let us know while you register how many kilometers you plan to cover. And we're hoping by the end of the contest, nationally, we'll be able to gather the number of kilometres, the total number of kilometres that everyone in Canada has agreed to cover and um, see if that actually does match up to 27,000 kilometres in a more virtual sense of the word rather than like a fully commitment because um, I think uh, 27,000 kilometres, it's, it's a lot to cover in a month. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, it, it's, it would be amazing to see if, if you know, we managed to you know, um, engage that many Canadians to embrace the trail and, um, and cover that distance. You know, collectively. It, it is amazing when you think about what we have in our backyard. I mean, I remember mm. years ago I was in Spain, walking across Spain and met some people from mm. Ireland who did the Canadian <laughs> Trail. It was four guys and they did it. They walked for four months. And wow. the stories they told were amazing, but it made me feel like as a Canadian, I thought, oh, I've, I haven't done any of these hikes that you're talking about, let alone the ones in BC. <laughs> so I think the pandemic, one of perhaps the silver linings is it is getting us to look at what's in our backyard and explore areas that maybe we haven't before. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as you say, like, you know, we can get a little lazy when like it's so, you know, back before COVID, it was so easy to hop on a flight, right? Mm-hmm. But now, um, but now, you know, we're looking a bit closer to our homes. And I think people are starting to realise, especially with the Great Trail, that like, 80% of Canadians live within 30 minutes of a section of the Great Trail. So it might be a lot closer than you think. And um, on the trail, like, there's so many beautiful sections in British Columbia, like, close to you in Vancouver. Like, if you're on, the, you know, walking along the sea wall, you're walking on the Great Trail. If you're walking along the Sea to Sky Trail, uh, which is, goes, you know, from um, Squamish up all, up to the mountains in Whistler and Pemberton, you're on the Great Trail. And, um, you know, I think that is, you're right, there is, like, so many... Um, you know, there's, there's, that is a silver lining of the pandemic. You know, it, it makes us look to our, you know, our domestic tourism. It makes us look to our local businesses and discover things in our backyard that we never noticed before. So there's a, there's a kind of a, there's a, a kind of a surprise. There's a, there's a really lovely moment when you make that, have that sense of discovery. Uh, you mentioned a couple of places, and that's fascinating that 80% of Canadians live a half mm. hour from the trail. So how do you find out where parts of the trail or, or where you might be able to access the trail? For sure. So as part of the Canadian, uh, Great Canadian Hike, um, anyone can just go onto our website, which is greatcanadianhike.ca, and you can type in your postal code, your address, your location, and it'll show you a map of Canada and you can kind of click in, kind of like Google Maps, and click on the little, the little pin and see where the trail is near you. Um, outside of the contest, which ends on the 31st of October, um, you can visit thegreattrail.ca and click Explore the Map. And if you have locations you know, permission on, it'll bring you straight to where you are and show you the line of the trail and you can find a way of getting there. But um, so that's um, a great way. Like the map is very great, is very good. And like you can find, um, you can find uh, exactly where you are. Like before, when I arrived in Canada, actually, I'm from Ireland myself, so it's funny that you mentioned those Irish people, but uh, um you know, when I um, first heard of the trail, like I was amazed. I was just like, oh, this is like in Montreal and it's like along the canal. And that's so close to my house. I walk that way to work, you know. So, um, you know, it was, um, you know, it's, um, it can be surprising. And like it, it is actually quite easy to find, you know, with the, with the map. So uh, I invite you all to, to, um, 
to explore yourself. Absolutely. And you're asking people, like you said, the goal is at the end of the month to, to maybe have covered collectively the entire trail. People are being asked to share their hike. So how do they do that? For sure. So you can share your hike. Um, all you need to do is like, you know, take some photos some videos of your experiences and um, use the hashtag Great Canadian Hike on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram with your photos and videos. And, tag, and you can tag us as well at The Great Trail. And um, there may be a chance to win some prizes. So stay tuned for details throughout the month. We're going to be um, sharing some of those little tidbits of information. Um, so keep on keep in touch with us. Uh, keep following us. And um, yeah, we hope to announce some very exciting things very, very soon. All right. Uh, easy way for people to get involved and maybe, <laughs> as you said, win some prizes and enjoy parts mm-hmm. of the country as well. We will leave it there for today. But Jane, thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us to tell us a bit more about this. Oh, thank you, Jill. It's a pleasure to talk to you today.